Well, I'll just go ahead and get right into this. The most miserable day of the year. For me. Why? Uh, rivaled only perhaps by the previous three days. Um, it's just uh, New Year's Eve. Who needs it? You don't like fresh starts. I don't like fresh. Well, I do like fresh starts. I like fresh starts in like March. So you I like fresh starts when the sun kind of pokes out, and I'm not vitamin D depleted and thinking about taking my own life. So you're not against the idea of a new year. Or, or in segmenting time into years, you're just against the idea of it falling in the middle of winter. Wait, we can do that? No, yeah. no years? Yeah, you could do it with no years. Like, how do we mark the passage of time? Just, we don't? You, you, <laughs> seasons. We could just okay. do seasons. Yeah, like, oh, I remember back in spring, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, I guess the the idea of months, dates, hours, minutes, everything really has to do with the legal system. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah, it's like, I, where, yeah, where, where were you it. at on the night of March sixteenth at <laughs> around eight thirteen p.m.? That's true. They did invent time so they could solve crimes. I forgot about that. But if we just did seasons, we'd have tons of plausible deniability. As I agree. Hell, I forget where I was back in the spring of 17. Who's to say, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, mean, I You're right. It falls by falling in the middle of winter. It gives you this false sense of hope. Whereas if a new year actually began at the beginning of... March. Know, let's say April, April Fool's, April 1st. That's a good new year. Then, um, yeah, then that would be a good new year. Yeah, what we need actually is for January, February, maybe even March to sort of congeal into one month of, you know what I'm saying? Um, that'd be a slog, though. See, the thing is, is that if that's the case, the last couple months of the year would be so brutal. You would you'd get your nut early in the year, and then you'd have nothing to look forward to. The rest of the year, you you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the first couple of months would be nice. Yeah. Nice. Be fucking nice, man. But then the rest of the year would be a slow downhill. You know what I'm saying? So I, is it not already though? I mean, are we all uh, not just marching toward the cliff that is December 31st? And then we all get what? to trick we all get to trick ourselves that January one is the time for new beginnings, but it's hard to have new beginnings when you're just entering a colder fucking month. <laughs> what I'm saying is that right now the way it's arranged is the first couple months are a slow incline and you peak in July and August, and then it's a slow decline. Whereas like in your new formula for a new year it would be inclined right out the gate, and then the rest of the year, for seven, eight, nine months, it would be all decline. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We would we'd still be enduring all the brutal season. It just, We would just mark it differently. So when you think about it, it's really the perfect. It's already perfect. When, why change it? When you really think about it, man, it's already not good. You sound like you like New Year's. <laughs> I don't feel one way or the other about it. I do think that the idea of new starts, fresh 
fresh starts is good. Obviously. I guess so. I guess I'll uh, agree to disagree that on that a little bit. Have you ever had a memorable New Year's? Best New Year's I ever had. Senior year of high school. I got shit faced in my best friend Tim's backyard. <laughs> Man, those were the days. We were living. <laughs> we were living. We were living. What was, that was the, what was the song that marked it? Oh, man. What was... Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. That would have been 2005-2006. Um, what was big? Uh, there was a song with, like, every Houston rapper on it. Still tipping? Uh, or draped up and was it uh, still tipping on four fours? <laughs> that was not the one. There was a song with like forty Houston rappers on. Bro, it. every Houston rap song has forty <laughs> Houston rappers on it. They've not made not one Houston rapper has ever made a song without at least three other Houston rappers on it. Yeah. Well, okay. I will say then. Then it find was me find me a Houston rap record that's just one rapper like on the song by himself. <laughs> By their self, I'm sorry. If I type this in, mid-2000s, Houston rap songs with hundreds of rappers. Hundreds. <laughs> hundreds. Of Were you a Swisher House guy? Yeah. Were you into DJ Michael 50 Watts? 50 best. Yeah. Draped up and tripped out. Know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I remember that song. Man, yeah. Houston had a moment there, right about that time. You're right, and they didn't let up for a while. Till Slim Thug pissed his pants, which um, I've been there. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, uh. So, but yeah, no, so you're not a fan? You're not a fan of New Year's? I had a a brief respite where I thought... Devin? I'm going to get into New Year's. And that happened around uh, roughly the same time as you. I was in college. And this girl, Stephanie, had hit me up and was like, Hey, you coming coming back for the New Year's party? And I well, I hadn't planned on it. But when she said that, I said, Well, I mean, I might do a walkthrough. Keep it light, you know? And then I went and I got me a 12-pack of Miller Lite and I started drinking them in Whitesburg and I finished them when I got to Moorhead. <clears throat> the song of the night was... Well, I didn't finish them. I drank about half of them. <laughs> I've, been, I've been drunker than fuck. I drank 12 beers in two hours. Yeah. Uh, the song of the night was... Do you remember Wipe Me Down by Boozy and Webby and Mouse and that whole crew? Because I'm on Wipe Me Down. Because yeah. I'm on... That was, yeah, the, yeah, that yeah. was the song and nothing really happened as it turned out Stephanie wasn't into me but uh, man I, see it's just it's all just near misses man New Year's dude it's, it's hopped up oh man this is gonna be great we're gonna ring in the and it's just you end up fucking depressed playing on your phone fucking maybe pissing your pants if you're slim thug <laughs> I'm with you. I've like I said, I've not had a good New Year's since 2005, 2006. Um, man, 
there was a rumor that Devin the dude had a ho like a cousin in Hobbs and that he would come visit Hobbs in the cover of night like you know that he would come you know visit Hobbs surreptitiously no one knew, knew about it that's either absolutely true I don't know or the hallmark of somebody that can engineer <laughs> a lie because somebody that can engineer a lie can make something as implausible as that seem very true which I mean I guess Devin the dude could have yeah. a Hobbs cousin that's not that outlandish you know right right i got a cousin yeah Baton Rouge. i mean <laughs> it's doable that song that album ti uh that album hadn't come out yet king by ti that was a good album yeah i had got front to back and side to, to side yeah. <laughs> the ugk sample yeah that's good yeah yeah oh fucking a Listen, I've been trying all morning to do a Mitch McConnell impersonation. It's it's a lot harder. Bro, right, what's it? Let's let me ask you a question. Listen, listen. I keep going. What? <laughs> the American the American people don't want two thousand dollars. Listen, that's like my dude. It's hard. It's, that's pretty close though. Got, that's pretty. You're getting pretty close. He's got cotton. It's, he tastes like he's got cotton. But he tastes. <laughs> Yeah, you got to do like the Marlon Brando at the Godfather table reading and put cotton in your jaws to really do Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Listen, Mitch McConnell, I'm in McGrath. Listen, I'm going to go to D.C. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I like, I venture into Bill Cosby impersonation. (laughs) I ain't even touching that. Listen. We got to get two thousand dollars. <laughs> no, don't do Cosby. God damn it. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, uh, all right. Anyways, um, another day, another week, another day that Kentucky is the uh, wielded inordinate influence over the <laughs> affairs of the planet. Something we've been doing since, proudly since about seventeen eighty three. Yeah, that's right. That's right. When we broke off of the tyranny of. Virginia <laughs> it became our own state. I think multiple states broke off the tyranny of Virginia, you know. Virginia used to be the Texas of the United States. <laughs> really, there everybody wore bolo ties up there and <laughs> drove, drove long ass Cadillac Eldorados with bullhorns on it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Where are you from, boy? You look. <laughs> <laughs> Come to Virginia, everybody just talks like they're from Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They talk like yeah. Buddy Garrity. But you ain't from Richmond, are you? <laughs> you want to play big-time high school football? <laughs> yeah, Come to yeah, Virginia. yeah. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. So, we're currently in the midst of stimulus negotiations although i'm pretty sure they're done last time i heard mitch mcconnell said that the senate would not be hearing the bill with two thousand dollar checks in it he said that six dollars six hundred dollars is enough (laughs) this of course this of course um spurred a whole new round of people um uh basically blaming kentucky for the nation's ills and you know what i'm just gonna start accepting it we are the reason everything's fucked up. That's right, motherfuckers. We're bad guys. We're fucking bad. It's a hill turn, baby. 
It's a hill theory. We're fucking bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> so what if we contain uh, 12 of the nation's 25 poorest counties? It's <laughs> We run shit, baby. We just we 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 wield our influence just to fuck you all over. We don't do anything to pat our own pockets. It's principle. Right. We're like the Joker. We just want to see the world burn. We're bad. We're just bad. We're just we're just bad dudes with attitudes. Couple of bad dudes with attitudes. The idea of like impoverished, fit, addicted, holler people voting enthusiastically <laughs> for Mitch McConnell is very funny. To yeah. Me. <laughs> Yeah. Man, you know. His entire. No, go go ahead. Ahead. no, no, you go ahead. I was just going to say his entire base is upper middle class, like, used horse car people. <laughs> yeah, horse people in Louisville. Yeah. Like, you know, whatever. We've said it millions of times, but the fun, the, the image that people have of the Mitch McConnell voter is funny to me. Yeah. They think everybody's just out, like, somewhere with a moonshine still in a cabin and just with vote McConnell signs and their fucking weed patch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plain, yeah. Bro, let okay, me tell you, so here's an essential truth of Eastern Kentucky. Nobody, nobody, everybody just kind of wants to be left the hell alone. People don't venture out and go boat and stuff like that. Most, most no. people. Yeah. Only the local power brokers like anywhere else and upwardly mobile people. Yep. Yeah, it's not like That's McConnell's correct. got a big toehold up in fucking Perk Creek. Yeah. yeah. Although I did, was thinking about this the other day. You know how McConnell every six years comes to Pine Mountain Grill? Yeah. Somebody could chill in the cut in Perk Creek and peck him off from about 400 yards if they really wanted to. <laughs> it would be easy. It really would be easy if you were a good enough shot. This is a parody account. This is a parody uh, account. Yeah, right, right, right. That was funny to me, though, seeing hundreds and thousands of people being like, it'd be crazy if he just died. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, if a lot of people are just saying that out loud, the FBI can't fucking come after all of us, so. That's true. I don't, I don't suggest killing Mitch McConnell. I don't, I don't believe in taking human life, uh, <laughs> NSA. But... What I do think is that if the natural course of things wanted to kind of speed up a little bit, yeah, who are we? Uh, who are we? Who are we? To question God's plan? Not we are at the whims of history. We've we've got we've got no agency. There's nothing we can say. If if there was, Bernie would be president. I mean, there's nothing we can say or do to actually. You know, sometimes things just happen. That's true. So and. You, you know what? That's a good segue into what I wanted to do with this week's episode. I wanted to kind of do this week's episode sort of like a year zero episode, but for the year 2020. I know that I know that it's kind of a cliche or a meme to be like, "Oh, 2020. Let's get it. At, we we got to get on. Let's get it in the rearview mirror. We got to move on." Let's get a 2020. Let's, let's. <laughs> hindsight's 2020. Yeah, it's like that song, like Happiness is Lubbock in my rearview mirror. Isn't that what it was called? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, the guy who sang that died of COVID this year. I'm pretty sure, Mac Davis. Yeah, they all did. Um, one yeah. one in a thousand Americans died of COVID nineteen. One in a thousand. Over- 
over 20 million Americans have it or had it. So that's like, I think like... Almost 10% of the country. I was going to say, yeah, that's... that's Not quite, but pretty close. (laughs) Like 7%. I mean, that's pretty fucking insane. But I, I wanted to If everybody like, that fucking contracted COVID nineteen would have voted for uh, Amy McGrath <laughs> instead of fucking <laughs> fucking sitting it out in the goddamn hospital, we wouldn't be dealing with this shit right now. Think about it. The people who are loudest about that are people who don't need two thousand dollars. So shut the fuck up. Yeah. All right. <laughs> the rest of us just know that. It's generally not been in the cards for us to get anything good from government in a minute. Also, it, this goes back to what we were saying, I think, last week or the week before. If you're outraged about something, where the fuck do you direct your outrage? I mean, in this country, it's so diffused. You have to live in D.C. to, like, overthrow the White House or whatever. You have to live in Kentucky to overthrow Mitch McConnell if you don't like him. But, I mean, it's just like... It's none of it's representative. I don't know. It's it's just uh, it's so diffused, and there's nothing you could really do about it one way or the other. You just have to hope the people that live in the place where the person you don't like has politics you agree with, or or develops leprosy. Because <laughs> we can't do it. We can't do assassinations anymore. It's poor form. They'll poor form. they'll come in and cuff and stuff you. That's right. That's right. So that's out. Like that's everybody needs to stop with them little guillotine fantasies. Ain't nobody nobody's gonna kill nobody. No, I, I, I listen. I agree. Listen, I agree. Um, uh, no, so I wanted to do. You could call it a recap of 2020, but it's not a recap. I don't want to do a recap of 2020. I want to give like 2020 the 18th of Brumaire treatment. Okay. The uh, I'm reading this book by Veronica Hedgewood about the Thirty Years' War. I want to give it that kind of treatment, a sort of narrative type. I thought you were saying, I'm reading this book, it's called The 18th Brumaire of Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> I thought that's what you were going to say. So. Yeah, we know. Um, <laughs> it's a pamphlet, my friend? Yeah. Man, well, you know what, people ain't doing pamphlets anymore either. They don't do enough All the old tools of political warfare, assassinations, and pamphlets, nobody's doing them anymore. <laughs> it's, all at the ba- it's, all, it's all at the ballot box now. That's right. Just something to think about going into a new year. Yeah. Um, so, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here, folks. A friend of mine hit me up this morning and said that all, I said all you podcasters spreading this uh, force the vote crap are really putting us out there. I was like, man, if we're over here talking about the cosmic significance of fucking the <laughs> Jupiter and Saturn alignment. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> We're lost at sea, man. (laughs) If you weren't online, you would have no idea what the force the vote thing is even about. It is entirely an online, which is not to say that it's not real. It's just, it's a fucking, it's theater. It's, it's a, it's a media spectacle. Our buddy Jordan had a good tweet yesterday. I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically about the reduction of politics to a bunch of, uh, going live on Instagram and Discord servers and all that kind of stuff to like spout off platitudes about like what's going on or whatever and that's true it's like we've it's like our politics have almost become influenced by the influencer culture in some ways well it's just the sort of Facebookification of it it's like they go on those 
platforms to say the things that people like so people can say, I like that, and they can hit the heart button. Or the you know laughing emoji button, you know what I mean? It's and like, I've done it's... my and I've done my part. Yeah, I've done my part by gassing you up with the likes and the retweets. <laughs> and I'm not listening. I'm not. Then that's not me coming off the top saying like, oh man, you you gotta get out and knock door to door because you're too online. I ain't saying that either. I don't care what you do anymore. I don't. I don't either. I guess I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you do. I don't know how things get better. I'm not happy. Well, hopefully, hope do what? I said, I'm not happy. <laughs> hopefully, by this exercise, it'll give you a better understanding of what is and isn't possible. Honestly, the reason I wanted to do this is because I want to kind of identify some broad social patterns. Oh God! In the way that the year unfolded. Are we gonna do? Uh... <laughs> oh my god are we going to like rate our accuracy basically <laughs> that was my original plan for this episode but I abandoned that plan as soon as I listened to an episode of ours from because what I was going to do is I was going to go back and listen to some of our old episodes from March and April and see where our heads were what did we get right what did we get wrong yeah but I listened to 30 minutes of one episode and I was like dude I cannot do this I hate our show <laughs> <laughs> I hate the show I could not do this. Um, so I abandoned that plan, and I and I came up with something much easier, much more palatable, much more understandable, much more accessible. And it dawned on me as I was sort of typing all this out, as I was sort of creating it all, that 2020 is an amazing year because it perfectly reveals to you how sometimes. History can be very untidy. It can be very messy. But sometimes, everything lines up perfectly to give you a, a, a tidy narrative. Right. And sometimes, that can even fit neatly within a year. So, 2020 is unique in the sense that the crisis began the first month of the year. And it created a political dynamic within which all these smaller dynamics and everything unfolded. And then it resolved itself... By the last month of the year, of course, you could you could say, Terrence, things aren't resolved at all. Things are looking to be even worse or whatever. That's not the point I'm trying to make. As I try, as I start to unfold this narrative, you will you will understand that this has a this story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has an act one standard three act, act structure. It's it's got standard three act structure. Compelling protagonist. It, it has compelling protagonists and, and characters. That's exactly right. And it has a resolution. The resolution is not what you want it to be. It, it never will be. You know, <laughs> your favorite books <laughs> and movies—they never end the way you want them to, um, or at least any of them worth their salt will never end them in the way you want them to. They'll always leave you. They'll always leave you wondering what it, when it's like the end of Sopranos. Like, what really happened? It's up to us to decide. It's up to us to interpret. Take your own adventure out. with what happened to Take your own, Yeah. And and maybe all the loose ends didn't get tied up. Maybe they get carried over into the next season or episode or sequel or, or whatever. Horrible miniseries. <laughs> or horrible miniseries. Yeah. Sometime, which leaves you sometimes with more questions than answers. That's exactly right. Um, so, so this year... 
like I said, we get a three-act structure. And so I have, for you, the listening audience, divided the year into three neat and tidy acts for you to, for you to marvel at, to marvel at the gift of history. Um, so, but before we start, like any good story, you need a prologue. You okay. need an opening scene before you dive into the first act. So this prologue opens up on me in a hospital bed in Lexington, Kentucky. Man, <laughs> if you really think about a harbinger of things to come. Exactly right. That is exactly right. God, dude, you never think about that? That night you, you claimed to me that you had pierced the veil. And I finally, I, I finally get you. I finally got you calmed down, and then you handed me your computer and you said, "There's a lot of things I wrote in my early twenties. I'm ashamed of. We make sure they're deleted <laughs> off this hard drive. Make sure my brother gets everything." And I was like, "Gets what? <laughs> you fucking catch? All my passwords? You fucking catch in your 2007 Tacoma? <laughs> okay, I'll make sure he gets that." My will and testament and all my passwords, you got it. But for those of you who don't have a pay- access to the Patreon, this time last year, we were recording this on New Year's Eve, but if you wind the clock back to, I believe it was December 30th. December 28th. 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 Or 29th, because our show with Street Fight in Columbus was the 28th, I think, and it was the next night. Re- yeah, regardless. that's right, that's right, that's right, because... The catalyst for this night was given to us at the Street Fight Show. So, prologue. Scene opens up. Me in a hospital bed, sweating profusely, grabbing onto the nurse's collar. Am I going to fucking make it? You know, eyes eyes, you know, massively expanded. The pupils in the eyes. Like, I had taken too many drugs. Too many drugs over a 24-hour period of time. Um, And I had... Pierce the veil. We were on our way to an unknown Henson show who months later, well, six months later would be super canceled. Super canceled. (laughs) Spoiler, we didn't make it to unknown Henson. Yeah. So I had pierced the veil. Your, your, every story needs a shaman character. Hold on one second. In the opening scene. One more thing I want to say about that. Unknown Henson, to bring it full circle, you know why he got canceled. Because, uh, did he say, because he called Dolly Parton a big tittied bimbo that supported BLM. <laughs> so like, like seriously, something that like something in the universe was happening in Lexington, Kentucky that night. You're right. There was the veil was thinner. The I mean, it was quite literally, yes, Twin the, Peaks. The, the veil, the veil between the canceled and not canceled was as thin as it had ever been that night. <laughs> exactly. So I had pierced this veil. I had seen through to the other side. I had seen the future. I was your seer, your shaman. And I looked at Tom and I said, impending doom is coming, my friend. Something bad is going to happen. Something bad is coming. I think I even said that literally. Something bad is coming. And we have to stick together if we're going to make through it. We're the only, it's the only way we're going to make it through this bad thing that's about to come. And I let you go on a walk by yourself because I was like, yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the prologue. In scene. 
Act one begins. We're dropped down in the middle of an America that is in its own form of advanced drug addlement. <laughs> um, it's year three of the Trump presidency. Uh, Democratic primary is going on. Um, also, I feel like this kind of gets lost in everything. We're in the midst of a, uh, a pointless and theatrical impeachment process. So that's how the year opened up. Um, but as you pointed out earlier, this story will have a revolving cast of characters. Um, like I said, it's going to leap from governors to mayors to presidential candidates and senators and congressmen and women. Um, at no point in our story will we hear from any tribunes of the plebs. The only one that will get close is Bernie. But at no point in our story will we have an MLK, will we have a Eugene Debs. Those, those, that era of American history is over. There are no voices of the masses anymore. There's just the masses. We have no input in the political process whatsoever. Like I said, no Martin Luther King Jr., no Eugene Debs. Um, it, will, it will basically just be the unwashed masses and the closest we can get to a Tribune, Bernie Sanders. And I have to apologize for that because I... While I could have answered the bell on that, <laughs> I didn't. I retreated. <laughs> the masses just, were crying just out. Just wanted to say my bad. Tom! It's like, yes, it's like the dock worker grabbing on the linen shirt and saying, take power, you cowards, and you you, sh you shirked your historical responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> um, so our revolving cast of characters, I'll just list some of them out for you. And there will be more. I'm sure I'll miss some, and you can throw them in. We've got the first class, the presidents, senators, congressmen, and women, and candidates. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, obviously. Bernie Sanders, Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, and Nancy Pelosi. All of the Democratic primary cast, Pete Buttigieg, uh, Amy Klobuchar, Kamala Harris, who had bowed out of the primary by this point when we're dropping Yeah, she, she was kind of out by like Halloween of 2019. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was gone. Yeah. Um, Anthony Fauci, uh, and obviously one that will, uh, come back up later, a very minor role, but a very crucial role. That's right, Senator Jim Webb. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Let's Senator not Jim Webb. Um, no, uh, fan favorite Ruth Bader Ginsburg, oh, or Girth Vader Ginsburg depending on who you're asking. Um, <clears throat> then we've got gov the governors, uh, Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, Steve Bashir, uh, Rick DeSantis, uh, Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer, you know, that, that whole cast of people. They will be important in, in the first act. In the second act, we will have the mayors, Ted Wheeler, Greg Fisher, Keisha Bottoms, Bill de Blasio, you know, those, those are our cast of characters, so keep all of them in mind. So, um, James Wiley so Craft. We, James Wiley Craft. <laughs> Mayor of Whitesburg, Kentucky. <laughs> so, we, like I said, we dropped down in the middle of January. We've got this impeachment process going on. The historical background is um, a society deeply demoralized, um, ravaged by years and years of neoliberalism, public health infrastructure completely broken down. <clears throat> nothing to really live for except for sports 
uh, drugs and entertainment. Drugs and entertainment. That's exactly right. In sports, we're uh, gone most of the year. <laughs> <laughs> That's where so I'm really just to. drugs and entertainment. Um, right off the bat, things are starting to feel a little off. Kobe Bryant dies, for example. That was pretty metaphorical. Man, the sports figure. One of the colossal sports figures, too. Yeah, yeah. That should have been the. That, can you get more metaphorical than that, my friend? The sports figure dies the year the sports die. The year the sport. The, the year the sports died. God. <laughs> um. So, in January, news starts trickling in from China of a new virus that's just been discovered. It's got very strange characteristics. We're not really sure what's up with it. Um. Several of these massive Chinese cities have gone into lockdown. These cities that you've never heard of with 20 million people in them. <laughs> they go into lockdown. I should have mentioned earlier that one of our main characters is Xi Jinping. <laughs> he will be a main character in our story. Um, several of these big cities go into lockdown. Fauci and Trump tell us everything's fine. It's going to be fine. Nothing's, nothing's going on. It's, it's, uh, it's contained. Right. In all these other places. And also, um, we should say that Trump knew that wasn't true <laughs> when he said it. Yeah, exactly. Fauci, I guess, probably knew it wasn't true when that was said. According to that new 30,000-word piece in the New Yorker by Lawrence Wright about the plague year, there was something called like Operation Crimson or something like that last year, which was a simulation of what would happen in the U.S. if a massive airborne pathogen coronavirus was to hit our soil and it went terribly <laughs> another thing you know, let me tell you what's interesting about that also at the start of the year something else that's not entirely unrelated to all this but we forget that this this kicked off the year was trump also decided to nuke Solomon. uh yeah! Soleimani. Soleimani. Qasem Soleimani. Yeah, Soleimani. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, also with that, didn't the United States play out war games where, like, if they were to take out Soleimani, what would happen? And one of those scenarios was that we would lose 30,000. We'd get our asses kicked. Yeah. Those war games were in the mid-2000s, but yeah, that, that was... Uh, we had done simulations for several different things that happened this year, all of which pointed to our imminent failure, and we didn't listen to any of them. And we didn't, and we didn't <laughs> listen to any of them. Did not pay attention to any of them. Um, so, yeah, we started getting news of this thing, whatever. At the end of February, I was at a wedding in Buffalo, and I met this dude who had just gotten off a plane, the last flight from Italy, where they were locking things down. And I just read Arrighi's tw Long 20th Century about Italy and plague and all this and i was like man this sounds kind of fucked up and then a week later i mean literally a week later that's when they start locking things down the very first coronavirus case was identified in the u.s on january 19th we started to get a couple more in february but then by march it was pretty obvious this was everywhere that this was everywhere so they had to start locking things down they start locking down like new york and it's pretty piecemeal at first but then in about mid-March, they realized, we're going to have to shut everything down comprehensively. All businesses closed. Um, people are going to be laid off. This, this entire process of 
realizing that the economy needs to be shut down, realizing that there's not enough PPE to protect healthcare workers, this this sets off mass chaos. If you go back to what we were saying at the time, which obviously you can never uh, go back and say, what did I get right or wrong? But you can look at it from a historical perspective. We were amazed at how fast everything was moving. And I guarantee you that if you're listening to this and you reel the clock back in your mind, you will start to remember that panicked feeling you had in March and April where you were like, events are moving so fast. You can never even really fully engage with them, grapple with them, process with them. History is being created right in front of your eyes every single day, every square inch of the earth. Yeah. Yeah, it's and even like down to like even the precautions because you remember, like when they and, and and listen, I've I've heard like people on the right say this, and I think that they're it's not unwarranted. Uh, granted, they come up with some pretty uh, interesting conclusions, but they did move <laughs> the goalposts a little bit about like the mask wearing, like oh you don't need masks. Yeah. This is not like they knew in February this is airborne, but they knew there was a shortage in March and April of PPE. For a number of reasons, uh, one of those is because I think had Obama opened like 39 pandemic response centers around the world, and when Trump came in in his first budget, yes. he shut down like 35 of them just because they were Obama era. <laughs> <laughs> that is that, and that is also in that Lawrence Wright New Yorker thing, right? Uh, um, so like they're saying, oh, you don't need masks if you're not sick. And that wasn't true. That was never true. They knew that wasn't true, but they said that just because they they didn't want this. Still, what eventually even ended up happening was this like grand rush to go raid the uh, shelves of Home Depot for N95s and everything else. You know, and it still happened. But like, yeah, Tony Fauci. Some- Matt, liberals love fucking Tony Fauci, but Fauci's culpable in a lot of this too, honestly. He was saying, yes, you're exactly right, in March and April that masks were not necessary. Right. And, or at and, least in March. And we, I mean, we knew April. this was aerosol spread at least on February 2nd, according to that Bob Woodward thing. Yeah. You know, this whole process... So several things happen in March that are phenomenal. Um, and, and this is why we're doing this episode, because 2020 is a year that will serve as the pivot. I think, for um, what happens in the next century. It will be the year that is the hinge pivot, that everything sort of pivots on. Because um, several things happen. All of these things uh, that are occurring, they're occurring in this larger economic context of, of, of an economy that had basically just been sort of papered over with uh, masking tape and popsicle sticks in 2008. The entire right. economy is is just basically built on debt, and that is a tinder keg, just an you know, a fucking yeah, it's a tinder keg waiting to be ignited. So this whole situation runs up against that thing and sets it on fire. Right. The whole economy goes into recession. You know, you've got stock markets tanking. The price of oil goes beneath zero as demand drops off for. Oil. And yeah, gasoline. I'll never forget that. My cousin Ryan said, "I'll I'll pay thirty five dollars to come take a barrel from me." <laughs> um, so that happens. Millions of people are laid off work. Um, the the government is trying to pass relief, but uh, it's not able to keep up with what's going on. Uh, state unemployment offices aren't able to keep up with um 
all the people asking for unemployment. The government itself is taking PPE from states and governors that it doesn't like, giving them to governors that it does like in a very <laughs> feudal vassal type situation. <laughs> Do you remember the, the New England Patriots team airplane that had all the PPE yeah. on it? Yeah. I mean, it's mass chaos. You've got mass chaos. Um, so in this, in, in this whole melee of things going on, people being laid off, mass unemployment, every week you get more and more... Un- I mean, I don't know if you remember the surreality. I don't know how to say... Just uh, the surreality of, of seeing those new unemployment weeks, every uh, unemployment numbers every week just go up and up and tick, up and up and up every week. It was incredible. Yeah. And they... And, and, Culminating and, in... A situation eventually where we had like half the country out of work but the stock market started going nuts again the stock market was going crazy which is a very dangerous situation <laughs> that is exactly what started to happen in april well in may the stock market started going back up in may but in april in order to prime the pump for that they start coming out and saying look the economy can't stay shut down for long. We're gonna have to sacrifice some people. Some people are gonna have to die. That's when they. That's yeah. That's when they went with the like. Let's give them to our children to Moloch route. Let yes yes. That's when they started saying it's time to sacrifice your children and Mama and Papa to the Almighty Dad. You even had like U.S. senators, people that make decisions about what happens in our lives, go on the news channels and suggest that like. Some people would gladly die for this country to keep the economy afloat. Yes. Like, suggesting that, like, your grandmother would consider it a patriotic act if you went and, like, died doing your seven-and-a-quarter-hour job just to keep, you know, the registers ringing. Yes. They've said that with a straight face, Terrence. <laughs> it was like nothing you had ever seen before. This was completely unprecedented. We've never seen this kind of shit. I mean, the last time Americans have been asked to make sacrifices like that was when the Great Depression happened and FDR was asking people to, like, give the government their gold. Yeah. You know? Like, that's... that. that we've not been asked to just, like, like I said, go into... <laughs> it's a funny wrinkle, though, because now we weren't... We were asking people to give their lives so people didn't have to give up their gold. <laughs> exactly! It was the opposite! It was the exact opposite. <laughs> Just the fucking wholesale inverse. Um, so the government tries to do a few things like um, bailing people out. It passes the CARE Act. Everybody gets twelve hundred dollars. Um, but this CARES Act is just a massive handout to corporations, right. and it doesn't even include enough loans to cover the small businesses, which um, initiates a fascinating dynamic of class conflict in this country. Because you've got millions of workers out of work, but then you've got small business owners who can't stay open because they can't af- afford to. They don't. Small businesses are pretty cash uh, dependent, cash heavy businesses. And it, it, but not- I, it was a weird thing too because it's it's like that. Like I remember, like this is even just a few months ago, and I might be getting a little bit ahead, but like. That like the government started using like these refrains that were like, well, you know, like it was kind of like echoes of the JFK. That's not what you can do for you know, but what you can do for your country, that that type of thing. 
And it's like, right? God help me for even. I'm not even gonna say it, with the small business thing. But like, it is a weird expectation to just expect people to give up their livelihood. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when the government's doing nothing, like nothing, nothing. no stimulus, no anything, and just like, well, you're gonna lose your business or whatever it is you're doing. Uh, you know, it's, it's just part of the war effort, essentially. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, a, it's, just know, a, it's just a, a, a very strange expectation. That, that will be a theme that comes back over and over again over the course of 2020. You have this dynamic get born early on in the first few months of the year that I can only describe as basically... It's kind of like the climate change thing. Um, and, you know, people put the onus for climate change on the individual, your personal carbon consumption and all this. You get this sort of imp- impulse created early on that says that indivi- individuals are basically responsible for the right, spread. Right, that's, that's, that's the point I was trying to get with that, with what I was trying to get at with that thing. Is yeah. It was like this weird shifting of, like, personal responsibility and beating home the point of personal responsibility as a way to like sort of absolve the government of having to do anything. Like, He's exactly right. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so and so what happens is um it creates this it creates this like battlefront, like this whole battlefield where individuals are pitted against individuals. Those individuals are in larger classes and those classes have expressions of uh antagonism and conflict and their own interests. And their own interests. But you start seeing this manifested in some really interesting ways. By the end of April, you have the first wave of anti-lockdown protests. Right. You have people in, like, Michigan saying they're going to storm the governor's mansion and kidnap the governor and all this, even though I think that was an FBI plot. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, or here in Kentucky, uh, you've got people um, gathering in Frankfurt and, and uh, protesting outside the general assembly building i mean this is everywhere Matt, you know what was interesting do you remember there was like a honeymoon for andy Bashir for a minute and then after that took place it started there it was more like oh yeah wait that's how we're supposed to feel about this yeah it's this an is, infringement yeah this is an interesting part because in this moment this is the rise of i mean this is the as I was saying earlier, we have a revolving cast of characters. In this moment is when governors come out on the stage in the spotlight. And you get the rise of, like, sexy governors. You know what I mean? Like, Daddy Bashir, Daddy oh, Andy, and, like, God. Andrew Cuomo. Everybody, you know, want him to make their calves cramp. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot about that shit, dude. And then remember when there was a push? Do you remember when there was a push for Cuomo to be president? Yeah, yeah. He had even written a book about how good he handled the COVID crisis that was out by, like, August, right when the second spike was happening. But I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Right. Well, that's the thing, man. All you have to do is hold office in New York during a crisis to be deemed good. doesn't matter, yeah. actually, your numbers or how well you handle it. If you're in office, dude, yeah. Pete, Rudy Giuliani was a national hero. This is a disgusting yeah. fucking, like, verminous man. That everybody yeah. looks at down and is just like, hey, I don't want to even be around him because he like leaks some sort of mink oil off of him. 
and now and like but but back then like he could do no wrong you know what i mean yeah um i think the larger thing we're working at here in act one is you had in a matter of about 45 days a wholesale devaluation of human life from we've got to get human capital stock back to work and people have to die from that to something we haven't mentioned yet and something that completely blew our minds at the time and made us realize we were in a new paradigm the pandemic primary when they made people go vote in the middle of a pandemic when everything else was shut down you had to go stand in line with other people and vote for joe biden because it was important you had that to Bernie save the republic etc yeah right and you know what's, um, what's interesting about that is like during the general they had no qualms about democrats had no qualms about pushing the vote by mail and all this kind of stuff they're so fucking stupid in their calculus that they create the conditions to like spur these sort of right-wing conspiracies and stuff because they're so uh-huh. fucking deluded but like they had no qualms during the primary of asking people to get out and risk life and limb to go vote for joe biden's stupid ass but in, during the general, they were like a very much more measured approach about your health and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Because it was more important that Bernie lose than Trump lose. Right. I do genuinely think that. I think yeah. that like they may not think that explicitly or consciously, but their own actions show that that is how they feel. Right. I think. Correct. Um, but yeah, so that's the theme of Act 1. The wholesale devaluation of life. Um, of crumbling infrastructure and an inability of the government to do anything to help people through it and to um, remove the burden of action from individuals to the collective political body. Um, This had all happened, like I said, within about 45 days. Um, And so so then things kind of enter a holding pattern, right? Towards the end of May, they're starting to say, okay, we're going to start easing lockdowns. It looks like things are are starting to ease. So then we enter a holding pattern. Right. Until, until Act 2. Act 2 can be dated to a specific date, May 25th. That is the day George Floyd is killed by a Minneapolis police officer. That is the beginning of Act 2. Because Act 2 begins... The mass unrest of the summer. Right. You have insurrections in major American cities. You have the burning of a police precinct station in Minneapolis. Um, you know, they started out as protests early on. I went to one in Pikeville and I went to one in Harlan that I thought was going to get violent, but surprisingly didn't. Yeah, um, I went to a few in Lexington and, and uh, one turned into Kiss a Cop Day. <laughs> Remember that was some like, of those early ones did. Yeah, some of those were like, yeah, yeah. we got to find common ground and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Some of those early ones had that um, feel good, you know, love is the answer, blessed union of souls vibe to them. Right. Um, but then things started to um, unravel, and it, this was not because of the protesters. Again. One of the main things about this episode, and one of, the, and one of the reasons why I think it's important, is because future historians need to be able to hear it from the people themselves. The people themselves were, and I, I, I'm not saying this in a lib way, I'm saying that historically, the facts of the matter are that the people aren't the ones who, who started burning things. 
the cops escalated first. The cops were a counter-revolutionary force that were unleashed on a population that wasn't sure what to do. I mean, they were just given free reign. They were kidnapping people. They were shooting tear gas also in people's not wearing, homes. Not, they were, you never saw cops wearing masks, any of that stuff. Now you see FOP lodged sitting here pissing and crying about all the officers they lost over the summer to COVID-19. Exactly. It's exactly right. Um, yeah, you, I mean, like, you just have... You turn on the TV and half of D.C. is burning. I mean, it... it, it we had remember pretty do, insane. Do, do you remember when we had like Trump put one of like the big name generals to just patrol the streets of DC? Uh-huh. That's what I was going to say next. They deployed the National Guard in several major cities, Louisville, DC, Portland. Um in in Louisville the National Guard killed a guy, David McAtee. Yeah. Um in Portland they're firing state-of-the-art tear gas at people that nobody had seen before um i mean this was we are thoroughly in into act two this is a qualitatively different set of circumstances than act one you know we are in uh the stage where things are are sort of disassembling and assembling themselves back again yeah so like in the middle in the middle of all this how are dims handling this how are the Democrats handling this? The only tribune of the plebs that we had that could have given any kind of expression to the rage here had already bowed out. I'm talking about Bernie. He had already bowed out and gotten behind Biden. So there was no way that any of our demands were going to be harnessed. Any of our rage was going to be harnessed by the Democrats, uh, despite having clear demands like defund the police and in some cases even abolish the police. All right. No, they basically came out and started scolding people, uh, you know, telling them how they should feel rather than, uh, or or saying we hear you, you know, without actually doing anything. And like I said earlier, this is the rise. If Act One was the rise of the governor, the sexy daddy governor, Act Two is the rise of the feckless, um, cowed mayor, you know, right. who is completely cowed to police interests. I'm talking about Greg Fisher, Ted Wheeler, Keisha Bottoms, Bill de Blasio. Bill de Blasio's daughter was fucking basically kidnapped by cops and he said, please, please, please no, please, please, please. <laughs> please um, give me my daughter back. No, I mean, uh, <laughs> please, can I have one daughter? <laughs> I mean, you know, at this point, the virus had kind of gone down. We were sort of lulled into complacency in, with regards to the virus. But, I mean, again, they were acting like it was all on us to begin with. Um, you know, the virus had gone down, but that was mostly because everybody was unemployed. The, vi- the economy hadn't quite kicked back up yet. These, this unemployment fed into the mass unrest in the cities. Um, you know, you have kind of waves inside of larger waves where things ebb and flow. They wax and wane, you know what I mean? Right. More out, more riots and stuff break out, etc. Um, but then towards the end of Act 2 is when, like all good stories, everything starts to reassemble and set itself up for Act 3. Several things start to happen. Um, the... Schools start to open back up and sports resume. 
And this coincides with a slow and gradual, steady increase in COVID. COVID starts to spike again. It's slow at first, but yeah. it starts to go back up. And and also, um, as too, school opens, we we know that even during the protests, because I mean, largely outside, a lot of people intentional about mask wearing and so forth. That even these big mass gatherings did not result in big COVID spikes anywhere. Right. I'm assuming that was mostly because they were outside. This is largely an airborne disease. A lot of the people who were protesting, most of them were wearing masks. <clears throat> um, but you get people inside schoolhouses. You get them inside businesses. And that's where this thing is spread out. And that's what starts to happen. Economy starts to open back up gradually over the course of the summer. Um, and schools start opening back up. And then several things happen at the end of Act 2. <clears throat> several very weird things. Um, the first is that Obama re-enters the fold. Um, our, our itinerant... <laughs> Killjoy. <laughs> vacationing former president. Yes, buzzkill former president re-enters the fold and how does he do it he squashes the nba walkout strike basically right i mean that is i think his you could say that there were a few moments before that obviously when like when everybody coalesced around biden obama obviously had a hand in that but i feel like his first major act coming back on the scene was saying uh now lebron well, you can't be having you uh, shut down the NBA. Uh, LeBron, uh, shut up and dribble. Uh, <laughs> so I guess we should set that up a little bit. What had happened was the NBA had done this bubble thing where they basically had quarantined everybody, all the players and coaches and staff and personnel, everybody that creates the NBA as an entertainment product. And where else? The happiest place on earth, Disneyland, in Orlando. <laughs> And it was kind of a success. I mean, they had no COVID cases the entire time they were there. They were very strict about if somebody broke the protocols that they were, like, immediately excommunicated, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, what had happened was uh, Sterling Brown, who plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, had been a victim of police brutality, I think, twice, two different times. And so, like, after the George Floyd stuff, he goes to Giannis and Tedekumpo, who's one of the big stars in the league, and then the Buc Milwaukee Bucks decide they're not going to take the floor one night. Now, the whole impetus for right. the bubble coming together was to, like, you know, draw, right, draw, raise awareness and all those things that we, we talk about, right? Rhetorical things. To the police killings and, right? right. Like, that was the... Right, yeah. And you yeah. saw people had, like, different sayings on the back of their shirt from... You know, more generic stuff like equality to more like, what's that mean? Stuff like, uh, yeah, plan, plan, fight. Like, what was that? Uh, I forget what it was, but it's something to the effect of like, uh, uh, you know, like community fi finance planning or something like that. Yeah. Um was it like participatory participatory budgeting I, like that kind of shit yeah, yeah 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 yeah. they had a different word for it but whatever i know what you mean and uh so 
this is a big thing, right? Because the Bucks walk out, and then like all of a sudden, other teams say they're not going to take the floor. So they have, you know, used all this money and resources to put this bubble together, and immediately it shuts down. Then the protests start reverberating to other leagues. Major League Baseball teams are not taking the the field. Tennis players right. aren't. Golfers, whoever. And um, like, as far as like a collective action targeted at something. It's working because, like, even in a year where revenues are down, they have to do everything they can to keep what money they can in. So they, like, basically were, like, leaning on these owners and stuff. They were hitting them where it hurts. Yeah, they were hitting them where it hurts. And uh, when when something starts working, that's when Obama shows up. That's right. And Chris Paul, who is the head of the NBA Players Association, and LeBron as sort of the god king of basketball call obama and say hey we need some counsel here what do you think we should do and that's when obama in essence told them to shut up and dribble right shutting down what could have been one of the bigger sort of mass like it now i feel like it's just going to sort of be a blip you know what i mean and it could have been a massive massive historical moment it was it you're exactly right it had the potential to be and when it happened, when we first heard about it, it was like, this is big. This is a huge sort of paradigm-shifting event. But also, but also, too, telling how far the window has shifted in this country to where the only, like, worker collective action that's, like, that was really working comes from, like, extremely well-compensated workers. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You're right. Like... SAG actors well, and like MBA, MBPA members and shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I think that um, the interesting thing about that is that that isn't necessarily new. Um, this was going on in the 1930s with actors and you know you'd have communist yeah. filmmakers and stuff. Um, but I don't think that. Uh, I mean, I I don't know. Obviously, the labor movement was much better organized it was an actual political force in the united states at the time um but you didn't have the democratic party necessarily trying to um there were obviously anti-communist hearings but those were mostly done by like insane xenophobes and people like joseph mccarthy and shit um what you have in this scenario is a figurehead from the party that is supposed to represent working people ostensibly coming out and saying no i mean if you look at it from the 10,000-foot perspective, his two major actions in 2020 were, first of all, making sure that Bernie went down, so killing that social movement, and then second of all, making sure that any kind of social movement that had been created in the dynamic space of the summer protests and riots, whatever social movement was being created out of that was also killed because it was starting to find expression in the sports leagues and in those workers it's so fucked up man you may tell you why because barack obama should be looked at as the biggest villain in this moment by a mile right yeah and he will absolutely go down as the person that helped install joe biden and save the republic (laughs) like you know what i'm saying he would be the one that like sort of orchestrated in an oz like fashion from behind the curtain made sure that we were all okay and, and furthermore, to really belabor the point, once again, for future historians, to really belabor the point, 
was single-handedly responsible in killing two major social movements yeah. in this country. The first of which was the movement created by Bernie. The second of which was the movement created by Black Lives Matter, which he yeah. did over the entire course of his presidency. Yeah, his by the way, yeah, he got a head start on this in 2015, for the record. Right. Yeah. yeah. But comes back out of the woodworks after being completely vacant and absent for four years of Trump's presidency to do this. Yeah. Um, so that's the first, you know... Yeah, after fucking just like parasailing with fucking Richard Branson and shit. <laughs> comes back out to squash the two biggest mass movements like that we've seen in a long time in this country. Right. So, so that happens. <clears throat> um, like I said, the context for all this is COVID is going back up. Everything is opening back up from schools to sports to businesses. COVID is, is gradually increasing. You have this moment where the social movements of the summer are starting to congeal into something, but they are dashed upon the rocks by the Democratic establishment. And then at the end of Act 2, the very end, we get something that we all thought was going to happen. We didn't think it would happen this year, but really, just like I said, the beautiful, the, just the beautiful contingency of history... Ruth Bader Ginsburg kicks the fucking bucket in mid-September. <laughs> um, Man. Opening up a seat on the Supreme Court, which the Republicans immediately rushed to fill with Amy Coney Barrett, um, thereby ensuring the Supreme Court is ruled by insane conservative ghouls for the next however many years 6-3 Supreme Court all because of their the Democrats own hubris, arrogance and fecklessness yeah so so um, so that's the end of Act 2 dog, Things- can you imagine this just think about this for a second they don't have the presence of mind to ask somebody in their 80s with a history of like some cancers with very low cure rates to step down while they have power. And also just just punt another appointment when they could have easily filled it. That's how short-sighted they are in the sense that... um, COVID was, I've said this, I said this, I think, on the last episode, on the last free episode. But the thing about COVID, it is, it is single-handedly the most revolutionary force to hit American soil in probably 150 years. Yeah. And by that I mean it has penetrated, infiltrated, disrupted every single social relation in this country. It has drilled down through the superstructure, through culture, through politics into the economic base itself um, and has you know it was completely uh, unforeseen right I mean even though people were saying it was going to happen this is how short-sighted the dims are even if Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't die from fucking cancer she was still at risk to die from something like COVID yeah I mean but none of their plans had had factored in any of these contingencies they had only been looking for the here and now. They had not been looking for how to maintain power because that's they don't want that. They don't care about any of that. They don't care about people making people's lives better. Right. 
They only care about the short-term gains. And, uh, and all of that basically imploded on them um, right. at the end of Act 2. But then, like I said, we enter a kind of holding pattern. Uh, COVID's getting worse. Things are... are uh, the protests have mostly died down. Um, but COVID is going back up. Life is trying to resume in really strange fashion. Uh, it's just a kind of simulation of what life used to be. People are pretending that things are going to be better. They're looking forward to Christmas. The election is closing in. Um, and then the beginning of Act 3, like I said, you can da- just like you can date the beginning of Act 1, and just like you can date the beginning of Act 2, you can date the beginning of Act 3. Act 3 begins when Donald Trump gets COVID-19. <laughs> first weekend of October. <laughs> Dude. It is. You can set your watch by it, can't you? You can. Because, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why this is the perfect date for the beginning of Act 3. All throughout the pandemic, all of the forces that had been created in Act 1, um, pushing individual responsi- pushing responsibility on this from the government to the individual, um, uh, basically trying to normalize and devalue human life and normalize the loss of it, normalize the virus. All of those things came home to roost when, co- when Donald Trump and everybody around him got COVID. So all year they had been trying to normalize this virus. Once again, I'm staying this for future historians, for the historical record. They had been trying like hell to, to normalize this revolutionary force in American life, to normalize this thing that had been, like I said, disrupting social relations, killing people, you know, causing mass chaos. They'd not been able to do it. They finally managed to do it in their own minds. I don't think they actually managed to do it. In their own minds, they finally managed to do it when Donald Trump and everybody around him got COVID. Because then they came out and they said, you don't have, because Trump got over it. We all thought he was going to die for a brief moment. And it was one of the most ecstatic moments of 2020. But he lived through it. And the first thing he said when he got out of it, he said, don't fear this thing. Don't let it dominate your life. Don't lives. let it dominate your life. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. I did it. We got the best doctors. Right. Now, so by the way, you got the best doctors. <laughs> That's right. So I think they thought that this would help him win the election, push him past the finish line. It's too little, um, too late. Too little, too late. Election comes around. Uh, Biden wins. Trump and, and everybody tries to... Um, tries to uh, contest it. Um, but they fail. One thing before we get too far away from this, I want to say is that you could tell Donald Trump was a guy that had never felt the death sting before. Had never no. feared for his life. Because there was like... You could such see it a, on his face. There's such a, there was such a fear, even down to his inimitable, am I going out like Stan? You know? <laughs> there was such a fear to him. And then after he had got out of Walter Reed... He was... I've never seen a man that happy to be alive. I mean, he was doing these, like, weird videos on the White House lawn that had, like, ambient, like, (coughs) cheery, like, music that was, like, inspired by, like, morning dew on the grass. You know what I mean? Right, right. He was not talking, like, in his weird, like, disconnected sociopath tone. He was, like, 
talking like in this weird perverted but perverted hopeful way it was kind of it was the whole thing it was the expression of a dying empire embodied in one human being yeah the minute he said am i going out like stan he provided a rhetorical actual expression to what this empire has been asking itself all year are we going out like stan (laughs) 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 oh my god so at the beginning of our story we identified two forces here and i i wasn't explicit about it enough but now that we're at the end of act three i need to make it completely explicit the first force is in a year of crisis and in revolution you have the mismanagement force you have the force that tries to normalize it all and tries to um basically suppress it right uh, uh that is represented by trump correct the second force performs a function that is sort of dialectically complementary to the first force that is represented by biden that force tries to suppress the social movements that come out of rather than trying to suppress the crisis itself it tries to suppress the social movements that come out of the crisis that's represented by biden these are the political dynamics that are created when this thing starts to really get seeded into the population and take off and unravel society and that's why i think this story has a revolution a resolution sorry an actual resolution. No, no, there will be no revolution. <laughs> no, there will not be a revolution. <laughs> that resolution is Joe Biden winning. Right. That resolution is, uh, on a narrative level... The only the, possible outcome. Yes, the only possible outcome. The assassination of the social movements that, for a brief moment, promised to revolutionize American life, to, um, to take back our autonomy and our own lives i'm not saying that they're dead forever i'm not saying that they won't come back in 2021 but but if and when they do it will be under a new dynamic the dynamic we are in now has come to an end it has ended it ended when joe biden was elected president because it represents like i said the conquering the assassination of those social movements and social forces the assassination of bernie sanders by the coward barack obama (laughs) <laughs> that is exactly, exactly what it is. And so by Biden winning, this dynamic has come to a close. Right. There are still things up in the air. We don't know how, how things are going to shake out. We're not going to get our $2,000, it looks like. But perhaps the biggest um, loose-hanging thread that we don't have a resolution to and that will carry us into the next dynamic, whatever you want to call that, is the fact that this vaccine rollout has been an unmitigated disaster, disaster. so far. Yeah. Complete disaster. I mean, there was a story, as we're recording this, New Year's Eve 2020, there was a story just yesterday that said we're on track to let millions of, ex- of these vaccinations expire. Because yeah. they can't get to where they're going to go. Right. Um, and that under the current regime schedule of, of this rollout, we're not looking we're looking to reach herd immunity with the vaccine in seven years yeah seven fucking years my friend i mean it's like we we 
were told a month ago that this vaccine was here and that we could finally see the end of this. And now it's becoming clear. Oh, we forgot. Oh, you actually have to be organized enough to roll out something like this. You can't just have the vaccine and, every, and no, everything's fine, blah, blah, blah. If you don't pay people to stay home, if you don't do anything to actually stop the spread... Yeah, you can't, just, you can't... It's like you can't out-train a bad diet. You know what I mean? I can exactly. run six miles a day, but if I'm going to go home and pound six Cokes and a fucking steak and whatever, it's all for naught, you know? That is exactly right. Um... So, yeah, you've got a situation where um, the vaccine is not getting rolled out to the extent that it is. It's going to go to people who do definitely need it, frontline healthcare workers and essential workers. But as we mentioned on our Patreon a few weeks ago, uh, rich people are already trying to cut in line for this. Right. Um, and I heard a, a, a absolutely haunting story on NPR this morning about nurses um, who, after a year of this, they're just completely burnt out i think that when this started there was motivation there was inspiration you know from there, there the was that healthcare yeah like, workers. like all hands on deck let's stop this thing a exactly unity but eggs exactly but, but as we're dragging into go go ahead no i was just going to say but like you were saying like getting ready to say i think after dragging into this and with zero assistance from the the regulatory bodies <laughs> federal government the people that make decisions about how we live then yeah why you know what i mean Ex- yeah that that was the story they were interviewing nurses and and this guy was saying the people the nurses i work with they're 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 so burnt out that they're starting to look for other jobs they're starting to look for other careers they just can't do this anymore and um and and that goes back to what i was saying it's it's as we reach the end of the year, you should, in your sort of mind palace, in your time machine, go back. Go back to March and April and ask yourself, how did I feel back then? What did I expect was going to happen? What was unfolding at the time? What kind of sort of social forces, dynamics were unfolding that um, shaped how I viewed things? One of those things was, you're right, people were all hands on deck, inspired, we can do this, we can get through this together. But that is not coming true. And in fact, it looks like we are going further down the drain spiral. Well, uh, 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 perhaps to me, one of the darkest expressions of this is Joe Biden, a man who's not eat up with the truth, uh, that will stand up there and say, no, hell no, I don't support fracking. And then in the next breath, say fracking's not going anywhere. Um, by his own admission, he said that like it looks like we're going to be years getting everybody vaccinated yeah <laughs> like at current clip you know normal life as we knew it prior to february and march 2020 is so far off you have to basically consign it to the dustbin of history it's not coming back in any way form or fashion well, well what i think is is the psychic toll this is all going to take i mean we're talking about we can we, we can talk about healthcare tolls and all this kind of stuff but the psychic and mental toll this has taken on a whole generation, multiple generations. We don't even know how to, we don't even know what the reverberating effects are. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. 
Well, I, I think – I don't want to end on, like, a downer note. No, I don't and either. I, I don't either because it's not – I mean, all's not lost. I mean, that's not no. – we're just talking about today as it, as it stands today. Yeah. I think another reason I wanted to look back at this year and why I want to have it on a sort of record for the future is that if anything, if anything, 2020 should show you not the complacency of the American populace, not that we are helpless and we have no agency and there's nothing we can do about right. any of this. I, I want to show you in the sort of tradition of Marx with the 18th premiere and in chapter 10 of Capital, there are various social forces at work that have their own interests. And they try to further their interests on the sort of chessboard or whatever. And if anything, 2020 should disabuse you of the idea that Americans just are helpless and that we are complacent and can't do anything about it. On the contrary, it should tell you that there are social movements that are there. They find opportunities, you know, gaps in the sort of wall that they can sort of squeeze through and, and deliver whatever to the um, hegemonic power structures or whatever, and they'll take them when they can. The problem is that you'll always run up against people and other forces that say that they're your friend, for example, Obama or Biden or whatever. And their actual function, their actual goal is to make sure, is to see you taken down. Right. And that, those are the two lessons we should learn from Bernie and from the summer Black Lives Matter riots and protests. Yeah. Which is that and, both yeah. of those, or go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say that both of those social movements were 100% um, in their own sort of ingenious way that the Democrats are so good at doing. They were co-opted and... Uh, conquered, like I said, assassinated. Right. Um, and that's, uh, once again, it's not to say that they are finished, because it's never over. It's never finished. This is the lesson of history. It'll never be over. <laughs> it'll never be over. There's al It's always disassembling and reassembling itself for the next confrontation. Right. Um, and so that's what you have to look for in the coming year, because if you think that in the coming year... As these things get worse, as the healthcare system starts to break down, as less and less, as, as fewer and fewer people get the vaccine that were promised it, as more and more people die because the virus will get worse. One in a thousand people in this country die from COVID, man. That still blows my mind. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it defies comprehension. Yeah. As those things progress, there will 1,000% be other forces and movements that will rise up. To change that, to, to confront it, to do something. Um, and I think that the lesson should be that we, um, I don't know, stay vigilant against people trying to <laughs> take it down. But we need some sort of organization, man. We need a sort of better sense of the, the landscape and what's possible in America. I mean, I guess you could look at it and say, well, we've got people in Congress looking out for us. Sure, that's fine. But we have to figure out some other organizational vehicle to uh, to coalesce all this rage and, and energy into, I guess. Right. Right. Um, and as long as as long as some of us are still wedded to the Democratic Party, that's not going to happen. To me, that's a, that's maybe the biggest lesson of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. We're, 
we're still connected by some sort of connective tissue to the Democratic Party, and that was our ultimate undoing in the end. Right. I think. Yeah, that's true, man. The 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 it's uh I think to tack on to that, what I would say too is really just a classic lesson. So um, watch out for fake friends. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, uh, you can read all the theory you want, but um, just simple cliches and sayings like that. Have a good. Have a good. Much more wisdom. Keep your grass cut low. That's right. <laughs> that's that's really what you need to know. Well, that about sums it up. I think um, this is obviously the last episode of 2020. Um, like I said, I wanted to give the year the treatment that it deserved from a historical, um, political, economic perspective. Hopefully, we told you a compelling story. 2020 was a year that could be told in narrative historical form. Like I said, it had three X, uh, and who knows? Maybe 2021 will be the same. Maybe 2021 will be so insane it'll we'll blow through those three X within a month. I mean, it's like Lennon said, you know, like uh, a week happens in ten years, or, you know, I don't know the, the thing. <laughs> you know the thing. <laughs> the thing. You know the thing. <laughs> so, so anyways, um, thanks for listening to the show this year. I know that it's been a hard year for us at the Trillbillies. Uh, I know multiple times I had mental breakdowns and wanted to quit this show. But been r- racked by um, breakups, disease, pestilence, injuries. That's right. But on that's we trudge. Right. But there were good things. But on we trudge. Um, so uh, I imagine it's probably the same for the rest of you as well. So, just want to thank all of you for being there with us as we go through this. Absolutely. And, um, Absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, you know, um, we have a Patreon. If you want to go support us over there, um, there is more episodes. You can do more hanging out with us there as well. Let's so go check that out. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you, uh, see you in 2021. So we'll see you in the new year. <laughs> All right, friends. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.